Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege we have to teach your word, to hear your word, to even understand your word. We trust this hour into your hand that you will teach us by your spirit, that will guide us by your spirit, that everything we do, Lord, this evening, will be inspired by your spirit. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, yeah. We're starting our prayer first. We're going to talk about prayer. And then uh, what we want to do in these teachings of prayer first is to set things right, to make sure that when you pray, you are praying correctly. Because if you miss it, if your prayer is not biblical, you will not get an answer. And it doesn't matter how you shout, doesn't matter how you fast, if you go outside of the word of God, you miss God. Because God works within the confines of his word. God cannot act outside of his word, otherwise he becomes a liar. God cannot break his word. So he acts only within the confines of his word. And so that's what we try by the grace of God to do. This period we are going to teach is to bring us to remembrance and point us to the confines of God's word. So your prayer will be effective. So you realize that you really don't need so, so much exertion, so much all these things we do, and we don't get a lot. So today, we're going to start off. And after this, then we go into the teaching on healing. And after that teaching, we're going to do, we're going to go through the, those words together. We're going to confess them together. We're going to thank God for them together. We're going to really worship God together for those words together. So let's start with the first stage, which is teaching on prayers. The, the, the topic that we're going to start with is the things we need to know about prayers. There are things we need to know about prayers. Why you come boldly before God. The basis of your confidence before God. You must know that. If you come on a wrong basis, you cannot assess God. And so, we must know that our righteousness is, is not the basis of coming to God. It's always the blood of Jesus that is the basis for coming to God. Always the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Calvary. So we start by saying prayer is talking to God. Here is how the Bible defines prayer. Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. So prayer is addressing our Father. Talking to the devil is not prayer. If you spend all night talking to the devil, it's either you're a devil worshiper and you're talking to him, casting him out, that's not prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray to your Father in heaven. We pray to God. We cast out them. We pray to God. So in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made unto God. Prayer is talking to God, your Father. John 16, 23. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give, give it to you. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. He that will have you ask nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So prayer is asking the Father. Prayer is making supplications and prayer to the Father. Prayer is making thanksgiving to the Father, making a request to the Father. That's what prayer is. Uh, let me read what the crosswalk.com, I think it's a Christian website, crosswalk.com. This is what they, they wrote. When we come before him with a humble heart, in submission to his will, and with a desire to glorify him as Lord over our lives, we are able to experience the closeness of God and all the blessings that flow from it. When we come before him with a humble heart, in submission to his will, and with a desire to glorify him as Lord over our lives, we are able to experience the closeness of God and all the blessings that follow. This is crosswalk.com. I think, again, it's a Christian website. The purpose of prayer, it has one purpose. It's to establish the will of God for your life, for another person you are praying for, for a nation, for a family, for a church, for a group, establishing the will of God. So primarily, is to fulfill the will of God and to establish the kingdom of God, dominion over everything, or to honor the reign and lordship of Jesus Christ, to exalt Jesus as Lord. This is the purpose of prayer. If you go outside the will of God, God won't go outside his will with you. You see, what we said at the beginning is that we need to point out these things, that we make your prayer work, because a lot of people are not experiencing success in prayer. And it's just simple twitching, adjusting things here and there, and you know that God is a God that answered a prayer. God didn't set up prayer as something to frustrate us. He didn't set up prayer as something that he said, you go and be suffering there. Let me watch you suffer. No. He set it up as a means of father, daughter, father, son, privilege. He's the one that start, told us to pray. And he, dis, he introduced himself as God that answered prayer. And unto me shall all flesh come. So he wants to answer prayer. You don't pry his hand to answer prayer. Because he said, I do answer prayer. It's an act of his love. But he teaches us how to. The Bible, the word of God, is lamp onto our feet and light onto our path. He teaches us how to. How to. The purpose, again, is to establish the will of God for your life, for somebody you are praying for, for a group, for a nation. Establish the will of God for them. In, in Matthew 16, Jesus said, when teaching us to pray, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. You can't go outside the will of God. If it's outside the will of God, God, God cannot violate his will. I mean, if I'm not doing the will of God, you call me and say, Pastor, you're not doing the will of God. That's called disobedience. So do we expect God not to do his will too? That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, anything at all, he hear it us. 
Why? God does everything according to his will, according to his wisdom. Human wisdom profits nothing. God does everything according to his wisdom, according to his will. Ephesians 1:11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He worketh all things. God does all things after the counsel of his will. So if you, if you ask God in line with the counsel of his will, then we are within the perimeters of what God will do. But if you go outside that, then God will not do that. Because he, he, the Bible says, he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He said, Pastor, what is the will of God? The Bible teaches you the will of God. Again, prayer is not to go and give God counsel. You know, the people say they, they are moving the hand of God. I don't talk. When I hear things, I just keep quiet. Prayer is not to go give God counsel. Prayer is not to go and instruct God what to do. Prayer is not to go and give God information he doesn't have. That's not the purpose of prayer. Prayer, again, is not to go give God counsel or mentor him. Go and mentor him so he will do what you like. It's not to go and instruct him what to do. That's not the purpose of prayer. It's not the purpose. So in Isaiah 40, 13, who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? It's nobody. Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? Nobody. You don't go to God to pray to go and teach God. 15. No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than a dust on the scale. He picks up the entire earth as though it were a grain of sand. The entire earth, the Bible says to God, is like a grain of sand. The entire earth. This is what I read in jacksonvilleprogress.com. It's a Christian website, I believe. jacksonvilleprogress.com. Again, it's a Christian website. They said, no one can claim to have served as guide, a mentor, a counselor, an advisor to God. No one can claim that God ever asked him for help in understanding any issue or problem. No one can claim to have instructed God in matters of justice. No one can claim to have told God which course of action to pursue in any matter. And I added my own. No one can give God information he does not have. Or give him or information he does, not, he, he, he does not know or he does not have to help him decide what to do. Nobody. After he told us, he said, my ways are not your ways. My ways are different. So prayer is not to go and be counseling God. So you come and say, I'll move the hand of God. I'll move this hand. <laughs> the other point I want to bring, remember what we said is that we want to bring us within the confines of Scripture. Because once you walk within the conf- confines of Scripture, 
you walk in fellowship with the Spirit. The Bible said that if you walk in the light, it's there. So in prayer, you walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And as we continue teaching other times, as the Lord leads, you are going to see how the inspiration of prayer comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from your flesh. It's that one that comes from him that works. So but these are the parameters we need to be familiar with and make sure that they guide us in our prayer. Again, there, there, let's remember, there is only one way to come to God. There is one way. There are not two. And it is God himself who consecrated that way, set it apart, and said to us, this is how you come to me. If you want to create any other thing, access will be denied. And here, I need to also talk, because by, by popular practice and popular things we do, there are a lot of things where we have put our faith and thinking that because we do those things, that God is now obligated to do something. If he doesn't do that, we go to him and say, after all these things I've done, then we begin to enumerate everything we've done for him, for which he ought to be impressed. I tell people, I say, those are the very reasons he won't listen to you. Because you can't buy his, you can't buy anything from God. Peter said, you cannot buy the gift of God. In fact, he said to Simon, your money perish with you because you think you can buy the gift of God. You can't buy it. Everything God does for us is out of his love, out of his grace, of his mercy. There's none we can buy. None. So there's only one way to come to God. If you really want to pray, if you really want to assess God, better listen to scripture. And like I said, God himself consecrated that way. Consecrated means he set it apart for all humanity as a means and that says through which to come to him. Why? Because he loves us, he wants us to come. If we miss it, if, if you are coming to this church and you miss the way, you can't come here. So if you miss that way that God set to come, that leads to him, you can't get there. You might think you got there. You might think you got there. You might have all my feelings and things because we, we, we try to connect God by feelings. It doesn't work like that. You can, you can, you can shout and everybody, wow, wow. <laughs> you may not get there. You know, how can God come to a, a church and they're praying and God goes to one person and says, don't join them. And he leaves the rest. He goes to just one person and says, see that prayer, don't join them. These are the things that if we do properly, then we find that prayer is not to be a labor in the way that we make it a labor. Prayer is not to be a labor, the way we make it a labor. There's a sense in which it's a labor, but there's a sense in which it's not a labor. There's a sense in which it's a labor because you pray continuously as you see God, as, as you desire those things. But it's not labor in the sense that if you, you have to kill yourself for God to answer you. So the wrong way to go to God, no one comes to God on their own recognition or qualification or achievement. That's wrong way. One man went there, said to God, 
I want to tell you my qualifications right here. I fast this number of days. I do this this number of days. I do, and he gave all that. And Jesus said, God did not look at him. It's tempting to go to God on my qualifications. It's very, very tempting. But that's a dead end. John 14, 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's by Jesus. Only by him. Now, Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even when we believe, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Nobody can be accepted before God by what they have done. Nobody. The Bible calls it the works of the law. The things you've done yourself. Nobody. Galatians 3, 9. So then, they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So if you want the blessing, you have to come by faith in Christ. But then, there are people who don't want to. Verse 10. Then for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. They can't come to the blessing. Those who are of the faith of Christ are the ones that come to the blessing of Abraham. But those who want to get it by the works of the law are under the curse. They don't approach, they don't access the blessing. See the analogy that somebody gave. Very interesting. He said, a person might come and say, I'm not as bad as Pastor Chini do. You know, Pastor Chinedu is at the valley. I'm, I'm better than him. I'm at the mountain, so God should look at me. Then the person says, well, you can be at the mountain. Pastor Chinedu might be at the valley in your own eyes anyway because you made yourself the judge. But let's say say you're on the mountain. He said, both you and him, the person in the valley, the person on the mountain, you have not reached the star where God is. So both of you have not reached the star of the glory of God. So on the mountain doesn't bring you anywhere nearer God. The only thing that brings you there that's the glory of God is that is Christ himself. Only him can bring you to that star of God. So if, if, if you think, well, I'm not bad, I'm not so bad. Yeah, I will give it to you, I'm not so bad. But then, you're not so bad, it's like you're on the mountain, yeah? Okay, the other people are in the valley, sure. But both the person in the valley and you on the mountain, you have not reached the stars. And only Christ can take us to the stars of the glory of God. Here is what we rely on. Here is what you trust in when you come to God. Hebrew 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because, 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 because. Did you see any other reason there? No. And this is the witness of the Holy Spirit. 
verse 20. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through, through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere heart, fully, fully, fully what? Trust him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is how TPT put Hebrews 10, 20. For he has de dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. God dedicated it. God set it apart. For just as the veil was torn in two in the temple, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to God. Through his death, his blood, his body that was torn, that gives us access to God. And it is God's grace that provides this access. Hebrew 2 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should test death for every man. By the grace of God, he tested death for every man. What God provided us is undeserved. So let's look at details of how Jesus created this new way. When we understand it, it will help us to, it will bolster our confidence in him when we pray. I will say result. Because the Bible said that anybody that trusts in him will never be put to what? To shame. And that's the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Who does not lie? Now, how did Jesus create this way? Because if you understand it, like I said, it might be easier for you to accept it and then fight off all these things that we have been doing and things that is not it. You know, just, just put your faith in Christ, that'll be enough. It is the high priestly ministry of our Lord over his church. Just like the old high priest was over Israel, Jesus is the high priest over the church. So we're going to look at it. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Say, consider. Don't forget it. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, of our faith, Jesus Christ himself. Consider him. Now, in comparing with the Old Testament high priest, we are now going to understand how the blood of Jesus is the only way to assess God. I want to read what I got from God Questions website. It's a Christian website. They call it GodQuestions.org. GodQuestions.org. It's a Christian website. Say the most important duty, now listen to this, because you need to understand this very well. 
When you understand this, it will be easy for you to trust in the blood only, 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 only. The most important duty of the high priest was to conduct the service on the day of atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month of every year, which would be the tenth of July in our own calendar. You remember they were not using our own, our own calendar, but just for clarity, just to make it simpler, the you know, tenth day of the seventh month of every year. Only he, the high priest, was allowed to enter the most holy place behind the veil to stand before God. Only that high priest, having made a sacrifice for himself and for the people, he then brought the blood into the holy of holies. After that sacrifice has been killed, the high priest brings the blood into the holy of holies, where it's called the throne of God into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which is equivalent of what the Holy Spirit calls the throne of grace. On the mercy seat, that is God's throne. He sprinkles it there. That is found in Leviticus 16, and I'm going to read it because I want us to really understand this. If you understand this today, you go a long way. You really go a long way. So Leviticus 16, 14. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat. Eastward, before the mercy seat, shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times, fifteen. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock. Sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. Again, in the, in the New Testament, he calls it the throne of grace. Upon the mercy seat. And before the mercy seat. 16. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. So shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remained among them in the midst of their uncleanness, 17. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place. Until he comes out, I have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. Which means when that one year expires, it does this once a year, when it expires on the ninth, from the 10th, nobody can enter the tabernacle. If you enter, you die. Because the effect of the blood he did the last year ends immediately after one year. It ends. Nobody can enter that tabernacle. So that's why he says, he said, for, he said, for, he said 17, and there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation. They don't have access to God again. As soon as that one year expires, nobody has access to God anymore until the high priest goes in again to do this. When he finishes and comes out, they cannot go in. They cannot have access to, to the presence of God. So Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the blood is in the blood, and I've given it to you, I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. So for Israel, if that blood was not brought in, 
they didn't have access to God. Until that blood was brought in by the high priest. Until he did that, the, the tabernacle was empty. Nobody is going there. So the only reason they will go there is that the blood has been brought to the altar and sprinkled on the mercy seat. And when he has finished that and comes out, they cannot go for another one year. So that website writes, he said, he did this to make atonement for himself and the people for all their sins committed during the year just ended. So that Exodus 13, and Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year. 9th of July, it expires. 10th of July, you don't go. You don't have access. Doesn't matter how good you are. If you enter there, you're dead. Until the blood is brought to the altar by the high priest, sprinkled there, then Israel can be going another one year. Another one year. Another one year. So it says, Exodus 13, and Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generation. It is most holy unto the Lord. It is most holy unto God. So if somebody will ask them, what is the reason for your access to God? They will say it's the blood that was brought. It's the blood. So in this particular service we read about, that, that is compared to the ministry of Jesus, our high priest. That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrew was comparing. That this thing they did is exactly what Jesus did. Exactly. Because he's the high priest over the church. This one is the high priest over Israel. But this is the high priest over the church. Over the church. People who confess Jesus. The high priest of our confession. So he compares that service of atonement to what Jesus did as a high priest. Now look at that in Hebrew 9. If you, if you go home, if you read Hebrew 9 from 1 to 28, you will understand it better. But I'm going to cut it short because we have other things to talk about. Hebrew 9 verse 7. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place. We just read it now. And only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not yet freely open. Because now they come one year and they go, after one year you don't enter again, you know. So it was not freely open as long as that tabernacle and that system it represents were still in use. Verse 9. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. It's showing us what Christ was coming to do. Present time, for the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse this conscience of the people who bring them. Verse 10, for that old system, this only with food and drinks and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in, that were in effect only until a better system could be established by God. Then Jesus came, the great high priest of God the high priest that God anointed, 
the high priest by, by word of oath. He came on the scene with a perfect sacrifice. And he went to the perfect altar. So let's read it in uh, verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands, and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured a redemption forever. He walked in there as a great high priest with his blood, right at the altar of God on the throne of God. What we saw the high priest do for Israel, we see Christ do for the church. He secured that redemption forever. Redemption, he, the price to redeem something is paid, the money take it back. So his blood paid for, for our sins, paid for our life, everything, and we are set free. And the Bible says forever. So it's not coming every day to be doing that. Verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurities. Just think, child of God, think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your conscience from sinful deeds so we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can now receive the eternal inheritance, eternal blessings. God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sin they had committed under the first covenant. Verse 24. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true ones in heaven. He entered into himself to appear before God on our behalf. That's why he's the high priest over the church. The high priest for Israel entered on behalf of Israel. The high priest for the church entered on behalf of the church. Verse 25. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth to enter the most holy place year after year with the blood of animals. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once. I want you to know how many times the Holy Spirit used the word once. Several times. That's a reason. Died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Hebrew 10.10. 10, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all time. Watch the word once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and minister before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God 
as a single sacrifice for sin. He offered himself to God. Same for sacrifice for sin, good for all times. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Can I hear amen? So understanding the role of the, well, remember the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no, no remission here. Understanding the role of the Old Testament high priest will help us understand the role of your own high priest and why you can enter boldly before God today by faith in his blood. In understanding the role of the high priest, we can better comprehend the significance of Christ's offering himself for us, uh, for our sins once and for all, as we read in Hebrews chapter 9, 26. Through Christ's sacrifice for us, we are sanctified, set apart for him. By entering God's presence on our behalf, Christ has secured for us an eternal redemption. And as Paul was, has written, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is from the Christian website that I, I mentioned before. Uh, I think it's called, uh, forgotten the name. I'll get it. I think, yeah, it's godquestions.org. Oh, godquestions.org. I think it's from there. That, uh, yeah, it's from there that uh, I'm reading it. Praise the Lord. Sorry, my, my iPad went off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it back. All right, so let's continue. Now, if you understand what I'm saying, then you can understand that just as Israel can say, the only reason we can enter that tabernacle is because of the blood. The only reason the church can enter the presence of God is also because of the blood. If Jesus didn't go with his blood to that throne of grace, who can't enter? That's why the Bible said, if Christ did not rise, we remain in our sins. Because we needed the high priest to take that blood to that throne. That's God's design. He said, he said to Moses, see that you do this after the pattern of the things in heaven I'm showing you. This is how it's done up there. You do it here as a shadow. So when Jesus rose, he went with his blood as our great high priest and came right at the altar of God, the throne of God. And because of that, we cannot enter. We can go to the presence of God. Praise the Lord. So this is why we come boldly before God, to obtain mercy and grace to help us. Hebrew 4.14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 15, this high priest is, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, child of God, let us come boldly to the throne of gracious God, there we will receive his mercy 
and will find grace to help us when we need it most. Because of this high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ, we can walk in boldly, very, very boldly, because of that. So the Bible said, we come to God because of the blood, because of what Christ has done. That's why we come. You can't put your confidence in any other thing. Then we'll have access. Now there's a question. Some, they say, how about John chapter, chapter 6, verse 49? John 6, 49 says, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and that did. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Very, very, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth this flesh and drinketh this blood, have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, there are people who teach that the Holy Communion is where you eat the blood, you eat the flesh, and that if you don't do that, you won't go to heaven. And they use it to punish their church members. They say if you do something, you won't take Holy Communion again. And it becomes a big deal. Because they know God and say, well, I'm not going to heaven. No, Holy Communion does not provide salvation. Because the scripture says that this was done once. It can't be repeated by any form, any shape. It cannot be repeated once. That sacrifice of Christ was done once. And the Holy Spirit was repeating it over and over. This was done once, 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 once. You can't do it twice. You can't repeat it. There is no way you can repeat it once. And the Bible says it's good for all times. So you can't do anything to say, oh, this is what I'm doing to repeat what Christ has done. It's not biblical. And then what, what was Jesus talking about? You know what? I taught it here that Jesus uses, I'm teaching this because of the, the doubt that people have as a result of all these kind of teachings. Now, Jesus uses metaphors. He uses metaphors, uses parables, uses allegories. He uses them. And they asked him why. He said, because of these people who are proud. He said, I'm doing this so they hear in the way here. Because they don't want to hear. They only do is follow me around out looking for fault. He said, but you is giving to me. Now, look at John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the living bread which then came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's talking of the cross. Talking of the cross. He died in our place so that we can have life. He says, it's my, life, my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I will pay an atonement. I will pay my life so that you would have life. He was using bread, that bread is the source of natural life. A metaphor is a figure of speech in which 
a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally applicable. The qualities of one thing is figuratively carried over to another. For instance, you can tell somebody, say, you are drowning in your sorrows. It doesn't mean he's drowning physically. It's a metaphor. You are using figure of speech to describe what is happening. And the Bible is full of metaphors and allegories, full of them. You can tell somebody, your heart is stone. He's not stone. You're just using the word to, it's a figurative figure of speech to describe his heart. So when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, I'm the bread, it's not, it's not bread. It's using it to show that I'm the source of life. And he said, the life I'll, I'll give you is I'm going to die for you. It's my flesh that I'll give on the, on the cross. I'm going to die for your life, for you, to save your life. So you have life instead of death. The, 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 the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus. I'm going to die for you so you have the gift of life. Look at Romans 6. For we died and we are buried with Christ by baptism. Another metaphor. Another, the word died is a metaphor. What he's saying is that he died in our place. If, if, if I paid your bill, you paid it. If you, are, if you are condemned to death and I go and die for you, you have died. It's a metaphor. He said you died. But you didn't die. He died in your place. So he's equating his death to your own death. He's equating it to your own death. It's metaphorical. For we died and we are buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by glorious power of the Father, now we also may live. See what he says now. He said, we can now live new life. His death was our death. His resurrection was for us. So when we come to Christ, we can receive life. If he didn't die, if he didn't give his life, we can't receive life. First John 5, 30. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. You have that life he's talking about. John 3, 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's how you get it. You don't get it by eating bread. He told us the purpose of the Holy Communion is to remember his death, to remember his death, so we don't forget it, because that's the cross of the matter. He died for us, shed his blood, took his blood to the altar so that we can have access to God. He died so we can have life. That, if he didn't die, we're finished. That's the cross of the matter. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. He said, do this in remembrance of me. When you do, the, you do declare, you do show my death till I come. You are declaring, you are announcing, you are reminding yourself of my death. The bread I gave you is my life, which I will die, which I will give for you. It's my flesh. It's my life. It will be the source of your life. Because he died, we died, he rose, we rose to a new life. It's not physical bread. The Bible says we should not represent God with the things made of man's hand. 
Det er scripture. Teaching this because a lot of people came from this background of all those kind of things. Again, we pray in his name because he's the Lord our righteousness. John 16, 23. And in that day, you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you because I'm your righteousness. The Lord, your righteousness. I'm the reason God will accept you. I am standing shorty behind you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Whatsoever in my name. He that you have asked nothing in my name, ask, and you shall receive that your joy might be full. This name is glorified in heaven, on earth, under the earth. It's recognized. So we can't go to God on our own recognition. It won't work. Again, it is so tempting to do that, to detach, detach yourself. It's, it's a grace, it's amazing. I was telling my son, I said, when you understand grace, you will know that it can't be from man. It can't be from man. The, the grace of God is such a depth of wisdom that it's amazing. Grace is the only thing that can detach you from pride, detach you from yourself, detach you from your failure, and focus you on God only. Grace is the only thing that make you trust God and depend on him. There's nothing else. If, if this tap is where you go and get water, then that's where you trust now for water. You can't go to another place. Grace is the only thing that can detach you from yourself, disconnect you from your righteousness, from what you do, and then connect you to Christ and make Christ your only source. And you will never be proud the rest of your life. You are, the days of pride is over. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It cannot be human. It can't be. It's beyond human understanding. It cannot be. And then he ministers before God with his blood. Hebrew 12, 24. You have come to Jesus. the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for, for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So the blood of Jesus speaks upward as I'm talking to you. It is speaking mercy. It's speaking forgiveness. That's what guarantees us that his mercy will never depart from us. 
will never depart from us. Never. Because that blood pleads mercy, intercedes for us. Or continuously. It is Jesus' ministry with his blood, continuous intercession for us. And the Bible said it is new every morning. Yeah, because the blood is continuously pleading. How can the blood fail? It's not going to fail. There's something that the Lord taught me. He said, you know, he said, you know that demons and sickness can cross the bloodline. They have the, they have the power. He said, if you, if you read the Bible, say if you read the Bible, well, this one we say, you know, when I say the blood that shall pass over you. God was talking about when God will come to judge Israel for their sin. I mean, judge Egypt for their sin. He said, I'm going to judge them. He said, because I'm the Lord. I'm the God that judges everything. So I'm going to bring death. Because the soul that's in it must what? Die. So I'm going to bring death. Because that's the natural. That, that's the natural consequence of sin. We talk of sin, we don't understand the mystery of sin. Sin is a mystery. It's a mystery. The only solution to sin is death. And the only answer is the blood of Jesus. Not. And we sing it, walk and wash away my sin. Nothing. But the only answer to sin is death. Must die. Must die. And Jesus had to die for us. There's no way out. No way out. So God said, I'm going to judge Egypt. And I'm going to kill their first son. Their first animal. Because Israel is my first son. But he said, put the blood on the lentil. He said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. The plague of death cannot, read your Bible, cannot touch you. Why? Because the blood protects you from judgment. Protects you from judgment. So the blood speaks for you and me. If we put our faith in the blood, powerful things can happen. Powerful things. I say, when I have some of these terrible symptoms, I said to to them, I said, I stand before the court of heaven and I plead the blood against you. I say, I plead the blood of Jesus against you, Satan, and against your work. I said, I stand before the court of heaven with Jesus as my advocate. And because of this blood, I dare you to cross the line. You can't. Because the blood protects me from judgment. And you can't execute judgment on my life. I'm justified to life. For the soul that sinners shall die. I'm not under the judgment of death, but I'm under the justification of life. For God has given me life in Christ Jesus freely. I'm justified to health. And the eternal life is health, is good health, and I have it in abundance. You can't put this in on me. You are a liar. As I call on heaven to witness today on where I stand. It has worked for me all the time. All the time. You know, if you have a court, if God, if God is a judge, then God must have a court. And then the, the advocate is Christ, the accuser is the devil. You see your Bible. 
They can't cross the bloodline. I've read testimonies, incredible testimonies of people who have put their faith in the blood and have put blood, blood around their building. And the kind of protection, the missionaries, incredible testimonies. This will put the blood and we put the bloodline around our, our proper, around this, this mission field. No evil shall cross it. And they didn't. They couldn't. The blood is powerful. Friends, it protects you from judgment and the consequences of sin. So it's pleading for us to have access. We can go into the sanctuary. We can go before God. Because God, has, Jesus has taken that blood, being a high priest to the throne of God. It's just like telling an Israelite, after the high priest has finished, that he can't go into the sanctuary. No, he will go. He can go another one year. He can go anytime. So we can go anytime because our own is for eternity. We can always go before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find, yeah, because that throne of God is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. This is the summary of what I've been teaching here. And Hebrew 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter. Ah, thank you, Lord. We can boldly enter. Boldly enter. Brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Let me read Hebrews 4. 4. Do, do I, are you following what I'm teaching? Let me read Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Seeing then that you and I have this high priest who have passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted, so as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, obtain mercy, his mercy will never depart from you. Obtain mercy. It's of the Lord's mercy we are not consumed. Obtain mercy and find grace to help us at the time of need. Jesus is the high priest over the church. Just like the, the high priest of Israel was over Israel. The Bible says, consider your high priest. Consider him. Remember him. He's there for you. He's menacing with his blood. His blood is speaking for you. Now, you know, like everything else, there are abusers of privilege. So there are people who will abuse the grace of God. Jude chapter 4. I mean, Jude 1.4. He said, I say this because some ungodly people have warmed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. There are people today like that. The Bible calls them ungodly people. They were never saved. They never came in contact with this marvelous grace. They don't understand it. You know, it bothers me how so many people don't understand the grace of God until I read Romans chapter 11. That brother stopped. I saw what? It stopped. I saw it right The writer of this place called it marvelous grace. But they think it's something that makes you live your moral life. And the Holy Spirit said, 
they are ungodly people. They are not Christians. They don't know the value of grace. The Bible said we are saved by what? By grace. Through, how can something that saves me make me immoral? The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. When we, when we condemn grace, we deny Christ. Why? The Bible said Christ is the grace of God that brings salvation. When you deny and make mockery of grace, you are calling Jesus mockery. He is the grace of God that bringeth salvation. And the scripture said that Christ brought us grace and truth. Grace is the work of the cross, all the things we say he did, and truth is the witness of the Holy Spirit about all those things, all those things that Christ did, all those witnesses called the truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth. I brought you grace. What I came to do, you can't earn it. I'm doing it freely for you. So you receive it freely. And then the Holy Spirit witnesses about it so you can believe and experience it. So there are people who, who are like that. In Hebrew 10, 26, their friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there are people like that. There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. If you come to church and you are joking and you are making fun of the grace that saves you and you deliberately continue sinning, the Holy Spirit said, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only, there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled, listen how the Holy Spirit put it, who have trampled on the Son of God, making fun of what he died to provide us, the new life. We think it's for living immoral life, we do and be living immoral life, doing what we like with it, making fun of it, trampling on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us, made us holy as if it were a common and unholy, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. All this work of grace, we, we, we just, just insult it. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hand of the living God. There are many people in church who are just living the way they like, doing what they like, and bringing shame to the name of Jesus. Trampling upon the grace of God, just living, partying, drinking, fornicating, doing normal things. Jesus said, many will come on that and say, you dine, we dine with you, you're taught in our churches. We did miracles in your name. See, I was telling the women, and I was telling somebody again, long distance, I say, Jesus taught us something. He said, he said salt. I said salt. <laughs> salt. He said, if salt loses its taste, how will you 
use it again. And he said, we're the salt of the earth. I said, so, and I was talking to a woman pastor. I said, you're a woman. I said, if you buy salt and you put it in your soup, it doesn't come. I said, what do you do? He said, ah, pastor. I said, I will, I will check whether it's the real one. I said, we'll put it in your hand and taste it. He said, supposing it's not tasting salt, what do you do? I said, I said that this is not salt too. I said, why is it not salt? Is it the label or the container or what is inside? He says, what is inside? I said, people think it's the label of church, container. No, it's what is inside. I said, Jesus said, see that salt? He said, it's useless, and I'll throw it away. I said, okay, you are a mother. If you buy that salt, what will you do? He said, I'll throw it away. I said, that's what Jesus said I'll do. Because the salt is Christ in us. Christ in us. He said, if you are not testing me, you are not the salt of the earth. God brought us message through these young preachers, these RG pastors. I can tell you those messages came from God. Because the body of Christ is full of people who are joking. They are not serious. All they want is miracle, miracle, miracle. They are not worshippers of God. Worship is giving up. What God says give up. That's worship. Worship is not even dancing. Worship is give up. When Abraham went to worship, there was no choir. He said to the servants, let me go and worship and come back. What did he do? He gave up his what he prized most to God. And the Holy Spirit called it worship. Jesus said to the woman that had many husbands, how did Jesus start talking to her about worship? I thought Jesus would tell him, you know, this thing you are doing is not right to <laughs> What? So he started talking about worship. Telling her, if you want to really worship God in truth and the spirit, you give up all these things. Give it up. Worship is not dancing. If God leaves me, I will preach more in December. You understand what worship is. True worshipers. Many people in church are joking. Joking. Many are called, but few are chosen. The Lord will help us. So let's go to the teaching on healing. But did you get what I'm teaching? Teaching on healing. Now, God has a medicine, his own medicine. And I take it. Because the Lord taught me one time, he said, he said, he said if your symptoms increase, he said, what do doctors do? I said, I said they increase your, either they change your medicine or increase the dosage. He said, they increase the dosage now. He said, if you are meditating twice a day, meditate three, four, increase. He said, my medicine has no overdose. You can take as much as you want. It doesn't have side effect. And it's true. Proverbs 4.20. My son. Attend to my words, incline thy ears unto my saying. 
Let them not depart from thy eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart. 22. For they are life to those who find them. Medicine to those who find them. They are life to those who find them. So if you find it, it's medicine. It, brings, it heals you. And health to all their flesh. If God doesn't want to well, why is God teaching you how to be well? Why is he teaching us how to be well? It's because he wants us well. He loves us. He, wants us. he gave us his son to die for us. Why doesn't he want us well? He said, they are life unto those who find them and health to all their flesh. Not some. All their flesh. So the important thing is to take God's medicine. Is to find it. If you want to take your, your whatever medicine you take, don't you go look for the bottle and you bring it out and they put it and swallow. Do you sit on the couch and be waiting? No, you get up and look for the bottle. Where did we bring it out? And the doctor said, take two in the morning. Take two. God said, take my own morning after night. Meditate on it day and night. The word of God is God's medicine. He heals. The Bible says he sent his word to what? Heal us. And to deliver us. It works. God will never lie. God will never lie. Never. Impossible. If God said, I sent my word to heal you, that's absolute truth. You can take it to the bank. You can take it anywhere. Point is, find the word. Find the word. I said, you find the word. Because if it's, in, if it's important to you, you'll find it. If it's not important, you won't find it. Maybe you have plan, plan B. Maybe you have plan B. Somebody came to me in the office, was telling me about, I think I was sick and things. And I said, all this teaching on healing, which one have you listened to? He said, none. I said, okay. You, know, you want to be well? He said, go home, listen to them. If you listen to them, continuously you'll be healed. I'm not praying for you. As I'm telling you, I'm not praying for you anything. If you scorn the word of God, how do you think the Holy Spirit will come here and heal you? If you scorn God's word, you think it's not important. And you're not listening to instruction. <laughs> My son, he said, Daddy, God told me, he said, he said hey, listen to, listening to what is coming out of that pulpit. I said, really, say God to him. He said, you better listen to those people. Well, you know you that God said, to, he said, they are not listening to their pastor. Right? Yeah? Okay. He <laughs> said, those people are not listening to that man. Two times, God told you. My son, attend to my words. Incline their ear unto my sins. Listen to it. You want to be well? God is telling you how. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep it in view. How do you keep it in view? Meditate on it. It's what you need to do. Think about it. Don't think about the sickness. Don't think about any other thing. God didn't say think on the sickness. Think on my word. Keep it in view. Keep it in the midst of your heart. That's how it works. 
I read a testimony of somebody that God sent to pray for one woman in the hospital. The woman was declared dead, almost dead. And God sent this woman to pray. And the woman went looking for, looking for this, this woman who was supposed to pray for. He couldn't find her. Finally, when he found her, she was a picture of death. He said, oh my God. He said, what is one God to send me to pray for? And you know what she did? This scripture is true all the time. He told her, he said, take God's mercy will be healed. He said, how do I take it? He said, do you know how you take your medicine? You take your medicine, swallow. He said, that's how you take God's medicine, swallow. He said, how? He said, meditate on it now. Put it in your heart. He said, we put a lot of things in our heart now. He said, Hugo, my son, he said, daddy, why is it that we always think evil? We don't think good. Why is it that it's always evil we give our heart? We think somebody did me this. Somebody he said, how can we load up ourselves with all those kind of things? It's easy for us to load up on all those kind of things. So if we can load up on that, we can load up on the word of God too. He told her, he said, take it, call it mine. It's mine. Thank you, Lord. I take it. He said, do it. And she did it the following day she was healed. She got up, the nurses fainted. Nurses saw her fainted. Because they were giving <laughs> for death. They thought that ghosts came. They were fainting. The chief nurse fainted. Let them not depart from their eyes. Keep them in the midst of their heart. That's where it works. In the midst of their heart. 22, for they are life unto, unto those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep their heart with all diligence. From, for out of it come the issues of life. Healing comes from there. Healing comes from there. Health comes from there. You are defeated first in your mind before you are defeated in the physical. You are defeated first. You have given up in your mind before they can defeat you in the physical. You, you are defeated first in the spirit before you are. The Bible said the things that we see are made by things we don't see. Before, before the devil can defeat you, he has already defeated you in your mind. You are giving up. But if you, have, if you put up the shield of faith, you will quench everything you do. Everything. So I gave us words that say we should meditate on. But before I go to them, I want to remind us the importance of speaking those words out. I want to give you the importance of speaking those words out. Yeah, okay. Numbers 14, 28. Say unto them, as truly as I live, said the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. He says, it's what you say that I will do. It's what you say that I will do. If you say my words, that's what I perform. Then he told them what they have been saying in verse 29. Your, car- your carcass shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upwards, which have murmured against me. 
doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell. God swore an oath to them. I'll give you this land. God is saying you won't get it. God gave us promises. Now he said you won't get it. Why? Say because of what you're saying. He says, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save Caleb, the son of Jephna, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Only these two people will get it. Even though I swear, you know, sometimes we say, but God promised me. You, that God promised you, you may not get it to. God swore an oath to them. This is God. So I swore to give you this. But now God said, you're not getting it. You, you walked away from my promise. You did. By what you say. Why? Numbers 13, 31. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. 32. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And God says, sure, this will eat you up here. Exactly. And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And so on. And they said they were grasshoppers. God said, those things you said is what you are going to have. You are going to die here. Because you say this land eats up people. Yeah, you are going to die. All of you. The only people who will not participate in this is those two people who didn't say what you say. They say different something. And when the scripture says that life and death is in the power of the tongue, we should believe it. Then look at Numbers 14, 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to search it, is I said in the good land. <laughs> These people say, eat up the people. These people say, no, no, it's a good land. If the Lord delight in us, then we will bring us into this land. God says, yeah, you are going there. And give it to us, a land which flowed with milk and honey. Only rebel not. Rebel not you against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. God said, these two people will experience what they said. You people will experience what you said. As you've spoken, that's how it's going to be. Now look at what happened to them. He, Numbers 14, 10. But all the congregation bade stone, stone them with stone. So the people said, for this thing they are saying, we are going to stone them. Why should they be saying that? They're saying we don't know what. Look, if you want to confess the word of God, be careful before who you confess it to, because people can talk you out of it. Not everybody has faith. Not everybody believes God. Not, don't mind we dance in church. Not everybody believes God. Not everybody. Let me say it again. Not everybody. There are people you start talking your faith before, they will take up stone, condemn you, tell you you are not wise, create fear for you. 
They say evil communication corrupts good man. Get into your closet there and bring out your vessels in your closet between you and God. It was better like that. Now, Numbers 14, 22. Because of those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, 23, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant, call them my servant, Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, an spirit of faith that spoke what God said in the face of challenges. And had followed me fully, not halfway, fully. Him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. So we need to really fight the good fight of faith. And even if you can't speak, you're in a situation where you can't speak, you can think. You can think in your heart. You can be thanking God. You don't have to quote the word verbatim. You can be thanking God for whatever you remember. Thanking God that in Christ Jesus I'm healed. That's enough. You don't need too many scriptures. I'm healed. Thank you, Lord. I'm healed in your heart. Even if you can't talk, you can say it. But if you can't talk, you can't be saying the much you know. Because, you know, in Acts chapter 11, 15, as I, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them. As on us at the beginning. These people haven't even confessed Jesus as their Lord. Peter said, God saw their heart. God is looking at their heart. So if, even if you are in hospital and you can't talk, you have intubations, but you, you, know, you can be in your heart. God sees your heart. In your heart, you can be thanking God and saying, Lord, yes, you sent Jesus to heal me. I believe he's my healer. Just the much you can. Much you can. The much of grace you have, that we do. God, Jesus didn't ask the disciples to bring food. What do you have? They said, well, I have little fish and bread. Say, give it to me. I, I work with that. So, but this is the word that, that I was encouraging us. Isaiah 54, 4. Surely, our sicknesses he had borne. Our pains, he had carried them. And we have esteemed them plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. And his pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace on him, by his bruise, there is healing to me. It's so simple. If you can't remember all of them, you can always say, yeah, he shall borne my sickness and my pains. Jesus carried my sickness and my pain. That's enough. That's enough. If you can't remember all of it, you don't have to tax yourself too much. Lord, thank you. Jesus carried my sickness. I don't care whether you're going for surgery. Whether you go to surgery or go to your doctor, but keep saying it. Keep saying this thing. I've seen surgery canceled with my eyes. 
in this UMDG. Surgery, cancer surgery, cancer. So we can't find it. Keep saying it. God is true to his word. Keep saying it. And as you are meditating it, the word is like seed. You have to water it. Keep saying it. It's a battle of faith. They want you to deny it. You say, no, I'm not denying it. Keep saying it. God says, as you have said, I'm going to do. Keep saying it. In my own personal experience, I found that the, as I'm confessing the word and thanking, sometimes the symptoms are worse. <laughs> you may not believe some of these living work conferences I preach. Sometimes I won't even know whether I'll survive to get here from here to here. Nobody knows that. And I'm sitting here worshiping. I won't even know whether I'll survive it. For over five years. This is the healthiest I've been. I don't have any sense. Not. Over five years. What I'm teaching is the way I live my life. If you give the devil opportunity, he will kill a pastor anytime he wants. Because he doesn't like them. He will kill him. If you give, he will kill him. Pastors are targets. Because if you get him to do some nonsense, the whole ship is affected. That's why I don't go anywhere. I don't like going. I don't want parties. I don't want. Mm. Then Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget them now. You should say them. Who forgives all your iniquities? He for, put your name. He forgives my iniquities. Who heals all my diseases? Who redeems my life from destruction? Who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles? Say them. Who said them? God. He said to Israel, I'll give you that line. They went and said, oh, we, have, we saw giants there. They are going to die there. And he said, okay, you die. Joshua said, no, we have the land. He said, yeah, you got it. So why don't you not take your eyes off of giants and put it on Jesus? The author and finisher of your faith. Keep saying what he's saying. Even, even if you don't feel like, if you don't, most of the time you don't feel like, just keep saying it. Because it's not by feeling. Your feeling is irrelevant. Just keep saying what you say. There's power in that word coming out of your mouth. That word is doing something. Keep saying it. My experience is, I find that the more I'm doing it, the more, after a time, I find the symptoms diminishing, diminishing, diminishing. There was a time, I, nobody, none of you knew. 170, I couldn't walk. I mean, <laughs> If I enter the church, I will dance everywhere. I'll be going like this. Here, like they put iron. So I went to Beth Israel. Which one is in Livingston? 
Oh, I went to St. Barnabas. I walked, I drove myself. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I went there, walking like. Immediately, I, I told him, ah, they said, no move, no movement. I said, why, why? They said, no, no movement. Then they put, put me on bed, and then changed my clothes, and then they came and took my blood. After that, they took again. After they, I said to the nurse, how much blood do I have? Eh? You come two times, you, you want again? Do you think this, is this Coke? What do you want it for? He said, oh, no, you have to take it. So he took again. Then they took me to one room, put me on this bed. I said, so this is how this bed is. I will pray something will come up. I pray so you go down. I said, this, wow. Come up, go down. That's, that's what I was doing. So they, they came, all these doctors, they came. I thought, I said, I'm going home. Oh, I said, no, no, I have to do something. It's okay. What do you want to do? Then I will take you to the theater. We'll put camera, check your heart. I said, check, but I'm going home. I said, the reason I came is to know what is wrong. So I know the name. So we, they took me. I signed whatever. They put me out and took me there. <laughs> and while they were doing their thing, then I woke up from, from their destiny. I woke up while that week. I said to the doctor, how far have you gone? He said, about 60%. See, you're so healthy. I said, what, didn't I tell you? I'm going home. He said, you're really healthy. So we find nothing. We don't know anything. So when they finish, they say, we find nothing. Can't find anything. We don't know what's happening. I said, I know. I said, we are releasing you. We can't keep you because we don't have anything to tell insurance we are treating you. <laughs> you have to go. The same way I came. <laughs> That's the way I went. Into my car. I went home. That thing lasted one year. It was fight or fit. One day the Lord told me, he said, the devil wants to kill you. He said, he's been trying to kill you, but I won't let him. I said, but I'm not important. I'm not doing anything. I'm not big. Why does me small? What's, what's interesting me? He said, he hates you. Nobody knew it, all of you. It was when I carried it to convention. It was one man that looked at me and said, Pastor, he said, anything wrong with you? I said, no. My wife didn't even know. The day he left, I can't remember. I left, can't remember. Because I was consumed with confessing the word that I forgot it. Out of mind, out of sight, out of mind, out of my life. This thing works. Can I hear amen? I'm so healthy. If you like, we go out now, I will run, I will beat you. I eat anything, don't wear glasses. No, have you seen me with glasses? Nothing. I'm so, I, I, I'm looking, I can beat okay up. I have, man. No, don't worry about wearing, no, I'm, I'm sorry about the glasses part. No, 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 it's not, no, it's wrong. People who wear glasses, I'm not better than them. No, 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 I, I shouldn't have used that. But it's just, you know, just to say the mercy of God on me, you know, to God be the glory. So if you wear glasses, please, I respect that. I, 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 I take that back. I shouldn't say that. That's not right. But uh, no, no, it's the mercy of God. People who wear it are not inferior. They're not sinners. It's, I mean, people have to wear it too. If, if they give it to me, I wear you know, so I'm sorry about that. But the point I'm trying to make is that this word of God works. So we have to meditate on it. 
How many times? And I gave it to you. Isaiah 53, 4, Psalm 103, 1. And that's what I want us to rise up. All of you rise up. Can you put it up for me? And there's this scripture that God gave us through Pastor Victor too. You can add it to what you, what you confess and what you meditate in your house. Can we read this one now? One to go. Surely my... Oh, no, no, no. Read it convincingly now. Let's go. One to go. Surely my sicknesses he had borne. My pains he has carried them. And we have esteemed him plague, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace on him. By his bruise, that is what? Healing for me. Let's go through that again. Go back to here. Okay, let's go. One, two, go. Surely my sicknesses he had borne. My pains he had carried them. And we have esteemed him plague, smitten of God. And that what he's saying that Jesus was plagued, smitten, afflicted, pierced, bruised, so that we can't be afflicted again. That's what he's saying. Then surely our sick, uh, go back to four. Good. Go back to four. Let's go. One, two, three, go. Surely my, he had, and my pains he had carried them. And we have esteemed him play, smitten of God and afflicted. Five. And he was pierced for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace is on him. And by his bruise, there is healing to me. Can I hear amen? Amen. Let's go to Psalm 103 from verse 1. Let's go. Bless the Lord, what? Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, do what? Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And forget not all... Are we going to forget his benefits? No. Now let's name them. Number one, who forgives all my... Remember the blood. 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 The blood speaks for you. Speaks for me. Speaks for you. The mercy of, the mercy of God will never leave you. The blood speaks for us. So that's why he said, he forgives all my... Look at this. Number two, who is... Who is some of your diseases? Who is what? All my diseases. Number three, who redeems my life from destruction? Number four, who crowns me with loving kindness? Do you know why his tender message will never leave you? Because the blood guarantees you mercy. Amen? Who, number five, who satisfies my mouth with good things? So that my youth is renewed like the egg. When I come to number five in my house, I, I, man, I said to God, wow. I said, I'm in a better covenant. I said, the old covenant, the scripture said there was no feeble. I said, there can't be feebleness in my body. This body is not feeble. My eyes is not feeble. My heart is not feeble. I am not feeble. I said, I'm in a better covenant. In the old one, the scripture said, no one was feeble. I can't be found feeble. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my life. The Lord, man, I begin to talk. I say, you renew my eyes. You renew my life. You renew my youth. You renew my strength. You renew me like, 
man, you can't stop me. Anything that comes, I'm just talking and thanking God for that. You renew me, you renew this, you renew this, you renew this, you renew this, you renew my metabolism, you renew. I say, Lord, I can't be feeble. I don't accept it. Who satisfies your mouth with what? Good things. So that your youth, your youth, your youth is renewed like what? The Can you open your mouth and begin to thank him for the thing? Confess those things as it stirs you up. As the spirit of God stirs you up. As it stirs you up, confess those things. Confess those words. Say so. Say so. And it's yours. Say so. Say so. Say so. You can have it. If you say so, God will do it. If you confess it, God will do it. If you say so, he will do it. Confess it is your own. Yes, he healed all your diseases. He carried your sicknesses. He carried your pains. He renews your body, renews your health, renews your eye, renews your kidney, renews you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let God hear you. Let God hear you. Let God hear you. Who redeems your life from destruction? Redeems your life from destruction. He redeemed you from destruction. Agree with God. Say so. Confess it. Declare it. I've been redeemed from destruction. Redeemed from destruction. I am redeemed from destruction. I have been redeemed from destruction. I have been redeemed with the blood. The blood, the blood, the blood covers me. I have been redeemed with the blood from destruction. I cannot be destroyed. For the blood protects me from judgment. I'm not under the judgment of sin. I cannot be destroyed. Forgive it all my iniquities. Heals all my diseases. How about that? Thank you, Lord. You healed all my diseases. You forgave all my sins. You healed all my diseases. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe your word. I declare it to be true. Let the healed say Let the redeemed say so. Let the saved say so. Let the redeemed say so. Let the healed say so. Say so, say so, say so. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Our Father and our God, we just want to thank you for the time we shared. Your word gave us opportunity to pray. That's what you told us to do, to come and confess your word together so that iron will sharpen iron, so that we strengthen one another, so we, we build up one another as we hear each other. It strengthens our faith, and that is true. And we're not doing it for doing sake. 
you will perform the things that your children have said so that their lives will be a, an example of your faithfulness. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Shall we be seated for a few minutes, please? I think we have a...